the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And you can reach me live anywhere in the world, 9 to 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, Eastern Standard Time, at am860theanswer.com. That's our website. And you just click listen live. Again, that's am860theanswer.com. By the way, this is interactive radio, and so I occasionally will entertain a caller who has an opinion on a matter, and we've got a big, big matter to discuss, a big, big conundrum that we're going to have to solve here today as to whether or not there is really a Santa Claus. So I'm going to get into that in just a minute, but I did want to let you know that my sisters, they're still upset with me over the election of Donald Trump and my support thereof. However, my middle sister, who hadn't spoken to me in six months, called me with a medical problem the night before last. So apparently the thaw is coming on, even though it's midwinter with the, with the sisters and the family. And I guess when they get needy enough medically, they'll be back. And I'll be happy to receive them with open arms because I love my sisters. I think they're a little bit crazy, but they think that of me too. So here's the big thing today. We were talking about this just before the show started. Is Santa Claus real? You know, where did this guy come from? What's his history? And how did he get to be such a big, a big star, a big name over the centuries in our, our Christmas liturgy, our Christmas mythology, whatever you want to call it? Now, most Christians know that Christmas is the birth of Christ, the day that's celebrated as the birth of Christ, and it occurs exactly nine months after the, the uh, Immaculate Conception, which is a feast day still in the, in the Catholic Church, I do believe. And the Immaculate Conception is when Jesus was conceived without Mary having sex with a mortal. And, of course, for eons, the scientist and the uh, the the logicians have said that that's not possible. Of course, we know now it is possible. There are lots of women who have children, and they've never had sex. They've had artificial insemination. So, But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the guy that's kind of muscled his way into this whole Christmas situation and has caused a lot of controversy, especially in the United States, over the commercialization of the holiday. And I'll argue for that later. 
So what's his history and where did he come from? Well, Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, Chris Kringle, all these names that we associate with the jolly fellow that gives gifts to children this time of year is actually a real person from the 4th century A.D. He was a bishop in Asia Minor, and he attended the First Council of Nicaea. And you say, well, what the heck is the First Council of Nicaea? The First Council of Nicaea was a meeting of all the Christian bishops from all over the Roman Empire, so it would have been international from Asia, Africa, Europe, and as far away as Britain. And it was an attempt by Constantine, the emperor who converted to, to Christianity back in the day, to pull the church together and have uniformity of, of doctrine, of dates, of dogma, all the same things that we do in our secular world, trying to decide which day Thanksgiving should be celebrated on. And, of course, Lincoln solved that. He said it's on the third or fourth Thursday of November. I forget which one it is. I know I just celebrate it when everybody else does. So at any rate, here we got this guy, and he was a bishop, and he attended the first big meeting of all the Christian bishops, and of course they took up some really tough questions for, for Christians. They took up, first and foremost, the the belief that there is a trinity, that there are three beings in one God, and there were schisms in the church. There was an Aryan group that said, no, Jesus was created by God and was made a God by God. He was not pre-existing until he arrived on our earth in, in his form as a human being. And the, the church had held, uh, the majority, overwhelming majority of Christians had held that, no, there's, there's a mystery where the three beings are actually one, that they're different parts of the same being. And so that was one of the big things that was settled. And another big thing that was settled was what day Easter would fall on. Now, we all know that Easter and Passover are close, and we all know that Jesus was crucified Passover weekend. So the early Christians tied the death and resurrection of Jesus to Easter which was tied to, I'm sorry, to, to the Passover, which was Easter for them. But there was a problem with the Jewish calendar at that time. It was a lunar calendar, and it was a little muddled. Uh, you know, my Jewish side of the family, we, we tend to get lost from time to time. We wandered around in the desert for 40 years with Moses trying to figure out where he was. And, of course, we have a little trouble with the, the sun and the moon and the stars. But we straightened all that out. Nevertheless, the Christians said, no, we're going to do this scientifically. We're going to do it on the basis of the, of the vernal uh, equinox, the vernal being green, green being spring. The spring equinox is when you have half daylight and half darkness, when the sun's up 12 hours and it's down 12 hours. And so the Easter holiday is pegged to the lunar calendar, solar calendar. Both come into play but it has to be a date, and I don't know how they derive this. That's for you to figure out. 
but they derived it by saying that, first of all, it has to be after the vernal equinox in order for it to fall into the, the correct lunar and solar calendar every year. Of course, it ends up being pretty similar a week or two away from, from the Passover. Nevertheless, these were two of the big things that were settled at the initial meeting of the bishops of the Christian world back in the 4th century, 325 A.D. in Nicaea. Nicaea was a, a city in what is now Turkey. All of that was part of the Roman Empire. And the empire was rapidly becoming Christian. So our man St. Nicholas attended, and by the way, he was an integral part of the formation of the early church. He was also a very generous man, and he gave handsomely to the poor and to children. Uh, I think he came from a well-to-do family. And his giving started a tradition that centered around the Christmas tide. That is, nine months after the quote-unquote Immaculate Conception. Incidentally, this coincided with the old Roman holiday of the sun, which was celebrated in December. And the winter solstice, here we are back at that sun thing again, soul for the sun. The winter solstice was the shortest day of the year, December 21st, 22nd, somewhere in there. That's when the sun was up invisible above the horizon the least. So maybe there was eight hours of sunlight and uh, the rest of the time it was night, darkness. And the Winter solstice marked the time when the sunlight, the day sun, daytime, the sunlight time began to increase again. And so this was a big celebration. And Constantine, being a pretty sharp guy, said, well, you know, maybe we ought to encourage this Christmas thing. It could transplant the Roman holiday. It would pull a lot of people into the church because they would see the similarities between Christianity and the old Roman holidays and Roman gods, and it would make them feel good. And of course, that's an important part of, of religion is to come away from it with the feeling of I'm okay, and the world's okay, and I have uh, a, a compass, a moral compass that I can live by. That's a good thing. We all need, need a little bit of that. So St. Nicholas attended this first meeting, and he would have been intimately involved in resolving a lot of the problems that the early church had. There was only about three, 300 or so bishops that showed up out of fifteen to 1,800 that were in the empire, what would have been for them the world. So he had a small but significant group of bishops there who determined the early direction of the church. And here's our friend, St. Nicholas, involved in that. By the way, a lot of these early guys had been persecuted under Diocletian, the emperor. And they came with scars on their face and on their backs from being whipped and burned and so on and so forth. And these were relatively learned people. They were bishops who had been uh, moved up into higher positions in the church because of their intellect and their religious fervor and their theological leadership, if you will. And so here's St. Nick. So from our guy, St. Nicholas, who gave to people 
who were less fortunate and to children the tradition of giving gifts at certain times of the year at the at the Christmas time became an important part of our mythology, our theology, our whatever you want to call it. And the idea that Christians take care of those who are less fortunate or take care of children is obviously a good thing and, and a deep part of the Judeo-Christian tradition and in the Western world. And as well, it's a great opportunity for us to express our good will and good feelings towards each other and towards our children. Certainly this is a difficult time of year for some people. I know my father struggled with this, and he always had a lot of emotional uh, problems at big holidays like this. But Santa Claus, at least in my opinion, is the central issue here. Is there a Santa Claus? That's what we need to know. Is there really a Santa Claus? Well, there was really a Saint Nick. And we have a little bit of his history. And we know where he came from. He came from the eastern part of the empire, what would now be Greece. And we have an idea of how he got into Christmas because he would have been celebrating the Christmas and the Easter holidays, as good Christians would, Easter being the highest holiday for the Christians. This is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And then Christmas would be the second highest holiday, which celebrated the birth of Jesus. And we also have the, the three kings, the wise men, the magi around this time who made their way to the infant's manger and gave gifts and celebrated the birth of, of the Messiah for what was then the, the Roman world, the Roman Empire. Initially, it was thought of only as a Jewish Messiah, but this expanded as the uh, apostles brought the word of the birth of Jesus and his teachings, the great rabbi Jesus, and this was uh, extended into the Gentile world, and in, in actuality, the Gentiles grasped onto this, uh, whereas most of the Jews did not. They didn't understand how you could be a Messiah and not lead the people in a military victory over the Romans or whoever had, at that time, seemingly captured them. We also have to ask ourselves, his Santa replaced Jesus at Christmas. You know, a lot of people get upset over this. They say Christmas should be about Jesus. And Santa is just a commercialization of, of the whole thing. The whole process has been corrupted by modern advertising and modern sales and Christmas lights and all this sort of thing. So we've got to take a look at that, too. Now, personally, I don't think that's the, the, the truth. I think the truth is that Anybody who brings goodwill this time of year, or any time of year, is okay with me. I, I mean, I like a guy who brings me presents and doesn't expect anything in return. So, 
then we have to ask ourselves, well, what effect does the role of Santa have on children? Because the children who we enlist into this conspiracy, if you will, that there really is a Santa, a physical, corporeal being that comes and leaves presents and eats cookies and drinks some milk, comes down the chimney. The chimney thing didn't come along until there were actually chimneys. Most of the medieval folk had a hole in their roof, and the fireplace was a pit in the middle of the room, and they had very small windows with no glass because glass was expensive, and a lot of people didn't know how to make it, so they had little slits, and they had uh, uh, wooden hinged closures that would keep the weather out, and when the window was open, which you would do, you'd leave it open at Christmas so that Santa, or on St. Nicholas' feast day, which was earlier in the month, and then St. Nick would throw a coin or some candy or something through the window for you. So the tradition has gone back all the way to medieval times. And the kids have been enlisted in this. I don't want to say it's a lie. I mean, it's, uh, it's a fantasy for them. And then we also have to ask ourselves now, would Christmas be the same without Santa Claus, without St. Nick? So these are burning questions. And everybody has their own ideas over the eons of Santa. Different countries celebrate it in different ways. The Eastern Church celebrates Christmas around the time that we celebrate the, uh, the, the Feast of the Magi in the first week of January, not because they disagree with our dates, but because they're using the older calendar. Uh, most of the world uses the, I believe it's the uh, Gregorian calendar. I can't remember if it was Julian or Gregorian, one of the popes. They redid the calendar because they were losing time. It wasn't keeping up with the solar year. And then I think we've even redone that a little bit more and added some more time for that little extra that's not accounted for every year. Remember, we have the leap year. Every fourth year, we have an extra day. And then every so often, we'll have another extra day or extra hours added on so that everything keeps up with the solar cycle. So here we are, and we've got a lot of questions that we're going to have to ask and answer. We also have the question of this reindeer gang that Santa apparently harnesses up to his sleigh. And Bill and I were talking about this before the show. Now, will they be able to go from the frozen North Pole all the way to the equator and adapt? And we discussed this. Would they overheat the reindeer in the tropics, and we pointed out to each other that there are horses in Canada that live, thrive, and make it without any problems, and there are horses in Florida. In southern Florida, we know there are horses, and both regions are capable of sustaining life for these large animals, and reindeer are in the deer family, but we know there are deer all the way from the Arctic Circle down to uh, the subtropical regions, even the tropical regions. Uh, so we 
have decided, Bill and I, that yes, the reindeer can live in any climate, and they will be able to make the trip around the globe, top to bottom, east to west, without having any deleterious effects on them. They can survive both in the ultra-cold climate and in the hot climates of the tropics. And we got this guy, Santa, who's portly, joyous, white-bearded. Now, he wasn't always that way, and he's not that way in every culture, but he evolved from illustrations, at least the one that we have envisioned in our culture, uh, from an illustration in 1881 by the cartoonist Thomas Nast. Thomas Nast was a famous 19th century cartoonist who lampooned the corrupt New York City political machine, Tammany Hall, and he was also a little bit of a humorist, and he was also a little bit of a historian and a little bit of this and that, as a lot of these cartoonists are. And he gave us a cartoon of a jovial, white-bearded fellow with gifts and a pipe and laughing, ho, 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 the jolly image. And this has been maintained and reinforced through songs and television and marketing and children's books. But you know, the, the American ideal of Santa and of Christmas goes back into the 1820s to that old, that old poem that most of us were taught, at least most of us of my generation were taught. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." And this has given us a template for what we can expect on Christmas Eve and what will happen when old St. Nick, Santa Claus, comes down the chimney with care. And everybody hopes it'll soon get there, and the children are dreaming with visions of sugar plum fairies. And, of course, that gives us the great ballet by Tchaikovsky. So everybody settled in for this long winter nap, and we're waiting. And by the way, this is where we got the names of all the reindeer, too. We didn't know before this poem all the names of the reindeer. Dasher, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen. So thankfully now we know the names of all these guys. And Rudolph was added later on because of an intense snowstorm that Santa had to navigate, and he needed some help. And so then they let Rudolph in on that, too. Now, I can't tell you that I've seen Rudolph's red nose, but I can, I can absolutely assert undeniably, factually, that I have seen the reindeer and I have seen Santa Claus. And I know he's real. And Father Christmas has been around a long time just because we rename him and put him in different clothes and he got a little fatter over the eons. Well, what do you expect? I mean, we're feeding this poor guy cookies and, and milk. We've been doing it for almost two centuries now. I mean, two millennia. So the guy's going to get a little portly. And our 13th century depiction of St. Nicholas shows him as a thin guy, but he did have a white beard. Nice-looking guy. Nice-looking long face, uh, friendly, rosy cheeks. And this is from... St. Catherine's Monastery in the Sinai. And we know that the Eastern Orthodox Church has 
probably kept closer to the original Greek text of the Gospels and the New Testament than the Roman Church has. Nevertheless, thank God that they have this man's picture hanging there. Now, you may not have known this, but initially, St. Nicholas of Mina was buried in the area where he was born. However, the remains of St. Nicholas are now in Italy, and in 1087, the Italian city of Bari mounted an expedition to locate the tomb of the saint. So you can see that even then, it was extremely important to folks to have St. Nick involved in their lives. The reliquary of St. Nicholas was conquered by the Italian sailors, and his relics were taken to Barry, where they are kept to this day. A basilica was constructed that same year to store the loot, and this became a pilgrimage site for the devout because St. Nicholas was not only the patron saint of children, he was the patron saint of a number of things, and at that time it was very important to have connections to saints that would intercede for you on behalf of you. So you would pray to a saint, and the saint would put a bug in God's ear. And that's the way it was done. And then the saints would give you a little strength, a little moral support, a little grace, whatever it is you want to call it. Now, in the first crusade, the... Uh, the Barry incident, they had left some of the bones behind, but in the first crusade, the crusaders took back the rest of the bones to Italy. So now all of St. Christopher is buried in Italy. And even during the Middle Ages, on the evening of his feast day, the 6th of December, children were bestowed with gifts in his honor. And my mother, by the way, we all had little wooden shoes from Holland, little Dutch shoes. We bought them, I think, up in uh, in New Holland, Michigan, at one of the little gift stores. She'd make us put out our little wooden shoes, and on the sixth, we'd get of uh, December, we'd get candy and 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 a little bit of money, and uh, maybe some nail clippers, little things that we needed, and that was in honor of and celebrating Saint Nicholas Feast Day, the great early church leader who instilled us with that sense of giving and sharing that's so important to the Judeo-Christian way of seeing and interacting with the world. Apparently the reindeer came along later when the chariots had kind of fallen by the wayside in the Roman Empire. And Santa needed a way to get around quicker. And, of course, the reindeer with, were imbued with certain attributes that allowed them to leap such great distances that it seemed as if they were flying. And you may or may not have seen a deer leap. I have seen deer leap. I've seen them leap across rivers. And so if you get eight or nine of them hitched up to a sleigh, they can probably leap across tens, hundreds of miles at a time. 
And it doesn't mean that they can fly just because they can jump great distances. And that's important to note because we know that deer do not fly. But we do know that deer leap. And, I mean, what more proof do we need of the existence of the reindeer than we know reindeer exist? We know they can jump great distances. We know that they can be tamed and harnessed. We know that they're an integral part of, of many cultures. We know the laps in, in the Scandinavian countries have herded and lived with reindeer for 1,000 years. So it's not at all out of the realm of, of conception that these guys, these deers, would be able to make the, if I can use the pun, the leap from wild animals to creatures that Santa Claus has teamed up with to make sure that everything gets there on Christmas Day in a, in a timely fashion. Now, not everybody celebrates Christmas on the same day, as I said. The Eastern Orthodox Church, their calendar is different, so gifts can come at a different time there. And there are certain European countries where the days may not be exactly the same, that you may get gifts on St. Nicholas Feast Day, or you may get it the day after Christmas, or you may get it the day before Christmas on Christmas Eve. So actually Santa's ability to be everywhere all at once uh, was probably a little stretched. And so over the eons, all the different cultures have agreed that they'd split up the time as to when Santa would show up so that he'd have a little easier go of it. And that's a good thing because, you know, he's getting kind of old. He's what? 17, 1800 years old now. I mean, and the guy's getting fat too, by the way. So if you're going to give him cookies, make sure the, they're the sugar-free diet cookies uh, will help him out because pretty soon he's not going to be able to fit down that chimney anymore. So from the Middle Ages, from the earliest parts of uh, the earliest dates of the, of the Christian church, this guy's been deeply involved. He's been part of us, and we love him. Okay, everyone fashions Santa in his own idealism. And as I said, some people decry the mystery of the Immaculate Conception and the birth of Christ being supplanted by this 4th century bishop named St. Nicholas. When I come back, I'm going to tell you my answer to why this is not necessarily true. And I'm going to go grab a cup of eggnog and a cookie, and I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. An English teacher in East Aleppo says families have been assigned bus numbers and are preparing to evacuate at this hour. Syrian media says buses and ambulances are preparing to enter East Aleppo to resume evacuating rebels and civilians. 
A health ministry official in Yemen says at least 48 soldiers have been killed by a suicide bomber who blew himself up outside a military camp in the southern Yemeni city of Aden this morning. 84 other people were hurt. Some Republican members of the Electoral College say they're defending rural and small-town America as they resist unexpected pressure to vote for Hillary Clinton instead of President-elect Donald Trump. The Electoral College convenes tomorrow in the 50 states to put a final stamp on the election. And the Eiffel Tower is reopened in time for Christmas. It had been closed to the public for five days due to workers' strike. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. NIV Live, a breathtaking Bible experience, is the perfect Christmas gift. Voiced by award-winning actors, musicians, and pastors, it brings Bible characters to life from Genesis to Revelation. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. God of Israel says... Let my people go. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. I have seen the Lord. Where is your God? Let there be light. The NIV Live Complete Audio Set retails for $125, but you can buy it from Faithgate this Christmas for only $29.95 with free three-day shipping. This special offer is only available online at NIVLiveSpecial.com. The perfect Christmas gift for spouses, parents, and grandparents. Get this 79 CD set for only $29.95 with free three-day shipping only at NIVLiveSpecial.com. Order yours for Christmas at NIVLiveSpecial.com. Limit seven sets per order. Only at NIVLiveSpecial.com. Here's some exciting news from Shoot Straight. You can now buy firearms online. That's right. Just visit shoot-straight.com. You can choose from a wide selection of firearms perfect for your needs. Of course, there are two locations on U.S. 301 south of MLK in Tampa and Almerton Road just east of 49th Street in Clearwater are always happy to supply all of your needs as well. And they feature air-conditioned indoor shooting ranges and a wide selection of all your firearms and accessories. Visit shoot-straight.com. That's shoot-straight.com. We'll start with areas of morning fog, otherwise partly sunny and warm, with temperatures approaching the record of 84 set in 1933 with a high of 83. Rather cloudy and very warm this evening with a shower in places later and a low of 70. Warm tomorrow with record-breaking temperatures, high 83. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Holly Holdren, 4 a.m., 860, The Answer. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry. 
Back, this is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and we're investigating this guy called Santa Claus today. Was he real? Is he real? Does he exist? And there are a lot of arguments, pro and con, but you have to look at this from the subatomic side of it, from from uh, the world of quarks and electrons and positrons and, of course, the famous Higgs boson particle, which is the basis now, the physicists believe, of all physical being. And basically, it gets really spooky when you get down to quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics being the, the, uh, the laws of physics that apply to the subatomic particles like electrons and and positrons and all these things and and it's it's almost incredible that we exist in the physicist world we exist but we don't we are but we aren't and uh, it's it's unbelievable that that two particles that are created from the same uh, subatomic incident like two neutrons that were kicked out of uranium atom by being bombarded with another neutron the these two neutrons which potentially can sail to the ends of the opposite ends of the universe, will both know instantaneously what the other one is doing, and they will behave exactly the same. So there are things that we don't understand. We don't really completely grasp how subatomic physics can work. We know some of the math, and there are physicists who say that Yes, we do exist, but we may not exist in the form we think. We may be a game in some kid's computer from another universe. Who knows? So all these things come into play, and and you have to stop and think about that when you say, there is no Santa Claus. Wait a minute. What do you mean there's no Santa Claus? We know that this guy actually lived and that he's been around for in some form or another, for seventeen or eighteen hundred years. Now, was he always a great guy? Well, I think it would depend upon the the culture at the times, and when things were harsher, Santa might have taken on a little bit more of a of a heavy guy, and and the the moms and dads would say, well, if you're good, you'll get a present. If you're bad, you're going to get something else. And we even have a little bit of that. You'll get your stockings filled with coal. That's what we were taught when we were kids. But I think that the conception of someone like Santa Claus is based partly upon the culture and the times, the era. But I do also think that the basis of his goodwill goes back to the very earliest times and we know that there are people who are suffering and that there are children who don't have much and the misery and poverty of a lot of kids has become an important emotional pulling point for Christmas because at this time we can give things to each other and Santa can bring things to kids whose parents don't have the ability to supply them with that and give them some hope and some joy. And that's a good thing. And that's where I wanted to come in with my thoughts on is Santa replacing Jesus as the big deal of Christmas? 
You know, I don't really think so. I think that if you like Jesus and you like Buddha and you like what they had to say, uh, which are good things for most people, be nice, don't fight, you know, share, hold hands, all the things that we think of as being positive Christian values, and the Buddhists value the same thing, then we have to stop and say, well, is this guy inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus or Buddha, with the, with the, uh, the ministry of, of Jesus? I don't think so. I mean, he's bringing good cheer and joy, and he's sharing, and he's giving, and he doesn't ask anything in return. Uh, is, isn't that what we're supposed to do anyway? Aren't we supposed to help each other out and not expect a lot in return? I know, I know we got to have some expectations, and we have to keep things balanced, but somewhere in the universe there's a balance to all of this. I think it's at a subatomic level, quantum mechanics. And so I don't see any inconsistencies with having Santa Claus become a big guy this time of year. Yes, for Christians, it is a high holiday, and I'm glad that that, that is there. I think it brings a lot of people a lot of emotional comfort and the idea that there is an afterlife helps a lot of people live this life. That's good. And I would never interfere with that. But I would say that if you're going to put Santa Claus down, then you're not being a Christian because that's not what Jesus would do. He wouldn't have put Santa Claus down and said, Hey, this guy's trying to take over my holiday. I don't, I don't, I mean, from what I've read and what I was taught, he would have said, yeah, everybody's welcome. Come on in, which is what I think his message was all about. Here's how you get here. And once you come in, you're more than welcome. And if we've got some celebrities, well, we got some celebrities. If we've got some people that are associated with this time of the year, as well as me, why not? Let's open the doors. Now there have been some sour pusses over the years, the Puritans, and the Calvins, who eschewed Christmas, the whole holiday, and the whole thing of, of Santa Claus, and saw it as silly and irrelevant, and not in, in line with the teachings of, of Jesus. I don't see that. I never did, and I never got that. And by the way, the Puritans, remember the pilgrims who came to North America, the early settlers up in Massachusetts, it was within a generation or two that their kids had pretty much given up on that whole Puritan thing. And the Puritans had some crazy ideas. If it rained and the crops were damaged, it was because I wasn't thinking holy thoughts that day or I wasn't pious enough. Well, we know that that's not so. We know that the weather cycles are not in our control, at least not until this century. They haven't been in our control. And we still don't have control over things like tornadoes and hurricanes, although we think we may be able to affect some of these directly and indirectly through pollution or not polluting or whatever, whatever the ecologists are calling it now. And so I think we have to look at the Puritans. We have to look at the Calvins, Calvinites and some of the more austere Christian sex, and say, wait a minute, I mean, 
really? I don't remember reading anything about the weather being dependent on Jesus loving me or not loving me or Buddha being there or not being there. I mean, I'd never heard that in, in Catholicism. I don't know. Maybe you guys have heard it in some of your different sects, but I haven't seen or heard of that. And so I don't have any problem whatsoever with saying, I don't agree with these guys, these Puritans and these Calvinists who are so austere and, and, and see everything as a, a plot by the church to supplement and, and replace the real meaning of Jesus and Christmas with false idols and gods and icons. I mean, what's the harm here? It's a good thing. And some will say, well, we really should pay more attention to the actual meaning of the holiday, which is the birth of Christ. Well, as I said earlier, the holiday also comes from the old Roman holiday of the feast of the, of the return of the sun, same time of year. And it's not uncommon in a lot of cultures to have this. The Germans had their Yuletide, and that was at the beginning of winter, and they'd drag a big log inside and burn it and, and have parties, and they'd lay in a little bit of the excess that they could and get, get some deer meat and whatever they were hunting. And then they had to hunker down for the winter, so nothing wrong with that. And part of that has been incorporated into Christmas, into the Yule Tide, the Yule Log, and a lot of the holiday reverie that comes from our culture has its roots in the, in the German cultures of, of 1,000, 1,500 years ago. Well, what values are there that this season can boast with Santa Claus as the main guy, the big, uh, the, uh, the, the big front man, so to speak. He's, he's on all the billboards. Well, the spreading of our values of Christianity is a good thing. The Judeo-Christian values that we are exporting to the world, and believe it or not, a lot of the world, non-Christians, even Muslims, celebrate Christmas. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So what does it do? Well, it certainly ties us closer together. Now, doesn't it? Because if we have something in common with people on the other side of the world, our holiday of Christmas, that's a good thing. And it also stimulates economies, production, sales, employment, jobs, manufacturing, and the trade and intercourse that is so integral to the world keeping in touch with each other. And by the way, this isn't new. This isn't new. The Romans were trading with the Orient. It goes back to prehistory, pre-written history. We have been moving around and trading with each other and checking up on each other and seeing what's going on. And this has been going on since we started walking, since we started upright on two legs and worked our way out of Africa and into the rest of the world. We want to know, what are you guys up to over there? Not just because we're paranoid or we're being suspicious, but because we also want to learn. We want to see what they have to offer. And this is something that we have to offer as a culture that we can send out. And I think that Jesus, if he were around, would say, this is a good thing. This is good. 
There's nothing wrong with trading with your neighbors. It can be fun. I called my neighbor yesterday and I said, I need some liquid nails. I knocked over one of the neighbor's mailboxes. So I had this humongous lift, 54 foot bucket lift that I rented and we put up Christmas lights and I did some repairs on my neighbor's roof and on mine. And, uh, we have tile roofs and they get messed up in the storms right on the water. So it's a, it's a very stormy area. And I was backing up to put the lift into his yard. He was supposed to be watching me, by the way. And I saw the neighbor's mailbox, and so I rolled down my window, and I said, Hey, Kenny, am I going to hit that mailbox? He says, No, you're clear of it. No, I wasn't. So now <laughs> we're replacing the neighbor's mailbox, and I needed some liquid nails, which is a type of epoxy glue, so I could put all this back together. You know what? I'm not sure I would have done this if it wasn't Christmas time. I probably would have just hired somebody to go in there and do it. But here's another example of the spirit and the goodwill. And this was the first time that I had spoken to these neighbors. And they're nice people. They're nice people. They said, oh, it's just a mailbox. I said, we'll take care of it. They said, that, that's good. So we made sure that we picked out something that they liked. And so Kenny and I are going to put it back up later today. So you tell me, what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that exporting our goodwill engenders goodwill in return. That's important. And it's also important to realize where our current concept of Santa came from. By the way, the Salvation Army played a big part in promoting our current image of St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, Kinterklaas, whatever you want to call them. Because I don't know if they still do this or not, Bill. I haven't seen any Santas out with the, uh, with the bells and the, uh, the Salvation Army buckets. But this was common when we were kids. The Salvation Army, which is a nonprofit charity that initially set out to be a Christian charity and an encourage and help people that were down on their luck and give them employment and meaning. And it turned into, or at least a lot of it turned into uh, helping alcoholics in the culture through the Christian theology and, and the Christian philosophy. And so at Christmas time, when I was a kid, people would dress up, or uh, Salvation Army people would dress up as Santas with a bell, and they'd ring it and ask for donations. And that was a time when people would open their wallets and give a little bit for those who were not as fortunate as they and who were perhaps down on their luck. So the image of Santa as we know him today is in part the creation of cultural phenomena like the Salvation Army, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. And then the Coca-Cola, of course, they, they helped too in the 1930s. They refined Santa a little bit more. And so we see the evolution of, of this guy. And since it's hard to really get a, a, a photo of him because he's in and out pretty quick, 
we don't really know exactly how he looks, but we have some ideas, and we can guess a little bit, and we can form in our own minds how we envision St. Nick as he flies through the, through the atmosphere on his sleigh with the reindeer pulling him. And it works for me. Now, rumor has it, and I think that there was someone in 2004 that somehow got into his, his uh, production plan up at the North Pole. And his main distribution center supposedly is a sight to behold, 4 million square feet, and it's one of the world's largest facilities. There's a real-time warehouse management system that Santa's introduced along with his helpers, the elves, because you can't give every kid in the world a gift without having some sort of automation. I mean, it would just be too overwhelming. You'd have to hire millions of people uh, to manufacture and distribute and set up everything and get Santa on his way. Uh, that's a big job, and, and we can't expect him to keep up with the new and larger and bigger world without some automation. So we'll give him that, but apparently somebody has seen this, and it's 4 million square feet, 370,000 square meters, for those of you who are on the metric system. And, of course, he has to keep his productivity up because there are more kids being born. And it's important that we cover the whole planet and keep keep the the basis of the of the holiday going. And as I said, I don't think that this is uh, in any way a detraction from from Jesus's birth. I don't think it's in any way a detraction from the Christian principles that uh, the church and the holiday are purported to uh, expound. I think it's a great way to disseminate how we feel as a society, as a culture, and how we envision ourselves and how we envision ourselves in relation to the rest of the world. And I know that there are problems. We've got fundamentalist Muslims who are threatening us in a number of areas. <clears throat> and I'm not saying don't address that. That has to be addressed. But what I am saying is that the overwhelming majority of the people on the planet are decent people. They're just trying to get by like you and me. And we would like to share something that we consider really important and special with them. And we think it's a good message that Santa's bringing. And I like the idea that he treats all the kids with the same love and concern and helps them out and gives them hope and presence and uh, hopefully a, a square meal if they're poor and they don't have food. Oh, by the way, there is a postal code for Santa in the United States. There's also a Wendy's in, in the North Pole, at North Pole, Alaska, which is a city in Alaska, and apparently they have a sleigh fly-through. So it's not a drive-through, it's a sleigh fly-through. So if Santa needs a cup of coffee and a Big Mac on his way out the door, he can grab that because, you know, he's like you and me. He's, he's busy, and he has to sometimes use fast food during the busy season. Accountants have the spring, April. Uh, doctors have the winter. Uh, the, the swimming coaches have the summer, and Santa's got his time, too, so he has to do that. So we'll give him that. Well, I think I pretty much made the case for it today. And if you still don't believe 
Well, then that's your problem. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'm also a fan of Santa Claus, and I'm going to wish you the best of the season, and I'm out of here. Let's enjoy the day. It's auction time. 5, 10, 25, 80, 35. It's auction time. Burchard Galleries Antique. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.